I remember as a kid, uh, like many of you and hopefully some of the kids today, this, this was the time of year to have the radio on, right? This was just fun. I mean, you got to hear songs you didn't get to hear any other time of the year, and it was festive, and it was fun, and you learn new songs, and it's exciting, and running around, and it's, of course, associated with Christmas time, and holiday season, and food, and presents, and family, and all that stuff. And then I remember when I got my driver's license, and I was going, you know, this time of year to check on wheat pasture cattle, and pasture to pasture, and going around, and I was like, when will these dumb songs be off the radio I'm tired of, I just want to hear, like I finally got my freedom, I can drive around, like I want to hear some good Van Halen or something, I don't need to hear all this Christmas music, and I mean you couldn't get it off, like no channel uh, left untouched, it was pervasive. And the holiday season in our culture is great about celebrating just the fun stuff of the holidays. Artists are also very good at picking up on the complexities and the pain in the holiday season. And if you listen really closely, it's all in the lyrics. For every verse of rocking around the Christmas tree, have a happy holiday, you know, mistletoes hung where you can see every couple's trying to stop. For every one of those, there's a, y'all remember Wham and George Michael? For every one of those, there's a last Christmas, I gave you my heart. And the very next day, you gave it away, right? Just Just feel the pain and the angst. For every I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, there's a, you might be doing all right with your Christmas of white, but I'll have a blue Christmas. Thank you, Elvis, right? Or have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your hearts be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. That was the Julie Garland version for the Meet Me in St. Louis The original score, though, had it going this way. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. (laughs) Next year, we might all be living in the past. Isn't that awful? But you can tell, like, somebody's writing, like, man, the holidays, this this can be kind of tough, you know? So Judy Judy Garland was like, I'm not doing that, okay? I'm not singing that. you got to rewrite that stuff. So they did. They rewrote it, but... Um, and then, of course, there's the lighthearted versions of just the silliness, like Robert Earl Keane's, you know, Merry Christmas from the Family, um, which you shouldn't listen to until you're like 40. Um, and then uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. And, you know, just these songs that you're like, these are just kind of fun. They just capture, like, the holidays can be weird, right? Getting together with family can be strange. The holiday season brings many complexities, and it provokes a multitude of reflective songs, commemorating the difficult things that we all endure as human beings. Uh, Joni Mitchell's song from 1970, uh, the holiday song, The River, was reflecting upon the child that she had given up for adoption the year before. And thank goodness there was someone there to adopt the child. Adoption. This is the best word I can think of to summarize the complexities and the hows surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ according to the Gospel of St. Matthew. Adoption. Now, if you sit through Matthew's genealogy and you go through all the begats, right? And A was the father of B, and A was the father of B, and A was the father of B, and over and over and over again. And you go through the whole line and all the generations. In Matthew's gospel, you get to a break. And A, the father of B, and A, the father of B, and Jacob, the father of Joseph. And then it changes. 
radically. The husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Jacob was the father of Joseph, and you expect to be Joseph was the father of, but Joseph was the husband of Mary. That's how it all got started, and Joseph adopted Jesus. Like so many before him in the great salvation history of our God. Sarah, you'll remember, adopted Abraham's sons. Rachel and Leah adopted Jacob's sons. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And we wait, says Paul in the New Testament, eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters. Adoption provides a major piece of the answer to the question, how did the birth of Jesus take place? When God decided to be clothed with human nature, he entered into our family, the human family. This required particularity a specific family. And now, says Matthew, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. And at this time, Matthew introduces us to Joseph, an exemplary man of courage and character and calling. And I have to say that I have missed it thus far. I don't remember ever preaching directly on this text at this time in the Advent season, but I just, I missed how the spotlight is directly on Joseph. Joseph is the first person in Matthew's gospel to hear God speak and obey a commandment from God. Joseph is the first one, you know, and, and rightly so most of the time. And in Luke's, you know, it starts out and they emphasize more of Mary's response as that gets going. But here it's a shorter version. It's a summary. And because Matthew's interested in connecting us to all those generations before and making sure we understand that the Messiah who was going to descend from the line of David, that this was all lining up and it was good. And Joseph was the adoptive link for Jesus to be born into David's family. So the spotlight is on him and it focuses on him. But we know it wasn't just this thing where Joseph was just a guy and, you know, could have been any guy and, and it goes along and all of a sudden there's a commandment, there's a spotlight on him and he gets this miraculous ability to, be a certain different kind of person. And we know that Joseph must have been an exemplary man of character. We know that he was. We know how he responded to the news that he got and the situation that he found himself in. And we remember that courage and character don't develop overnight. That Joseph, his whole life, had been being prepared as a Jewish man for this moment in time. And he was an ordinary guy. We know he was a carpenter. We know, and you know, that's why in the Catholic tradition, Joseph is the patron saint, patron saint of workers. Uh, he's also the patron saint of fathers. And it makes sense why that would be the case. Joseph adopting Jesus. Well, the kind of person that it would take to do that. Because think about the story that Carrie read for us earlier. I mean, this crazy thing is happening. Joseph is engaged to Mary, betrothed to Mary. And in those days, the marriage process worked. It was a two-stage process. Not all that different from how we do engagements in marriage, but two-stage process. First stage was you get together and you, you make vows. So you make the wedding vows, you get that done, and you're legally married. And then for up to a year, the bride goes back and lives with her family of origin. The groom goes back to his family of origin, and you just have that go on for a little while. Like I said, it can be up to a year. And then at some point in time, maybe you get the house built, you do whatever you're doing, then you move in together 
and it's full. Then that's stage two. Everything's good to go. Well, Mary and Joseph have been through stage one. They've made vows to each other. And Mary's back with her family, Joseph with his family. And in the middle of these two stages, before they move in to the house together, Mary turns up pregnant. And you can just imagine Joseph. I mean, you can just imagine the scandal, what people are going to think and what people are going to say and all the stuff that's going on. And it just screams with the word adultery, right? She's married to this guy. And look what happened. But Joseph, and Joseph was righteous and he wanted to obey the law. You know, he wanted to do what was right and what you had to do by the law. And in some cases, this would ultimately end up in somebody like Mary and her situation being stoned, even though in, in those days at that time under Roman rule, they didn't do that. They were preserving things a little differently. But he wanted to protect Mary. He didn't want her to be shamed. He wanted to help her save face. And so what did he do? He resolved to divorce her quietly, right? To just get out between the stages, to make this happen quietly. Maybe she could preserve some semblance of a future. He could do the same thing that could kind of, you know, ease it out. You can see that happening in a small town today, and you think, man, I'll move to Wisconsin, and maybe she can move to Arizona, and we can just make this thing work, and it'll all be okay. But as Joseph considered these things, right, he's contemplating. I mean, he's praying. He's meditating on God. He wants to do the right thing. He just says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce her quietly. We're going to do it this way. And in the middle of that, he gets interrupted. You ever been interrupted when you're really working on something? And an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph. Appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David. Right? Was, was David Joseph's dad? No. We already heard who Joseph's dad was. Right? That happened a little earlier. Jo or, yeah, Joseph, son of David, right? He brings it all together. The angel says, hey, listen, don't forget what line you're in and don't forget what's going on here. And he says, don't be afraid to go ahead and take Mary into your house. Y'all go ahead and proceed as planned. Don't be afraid of that. And you got to imagine Joseph in the dream like, what? what? Don't be afraid. What else would I do? I mean, I've got this plan. I don't see any other way around it. <clears throat> don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now Joseph has to at least be familiar with dreams and paying attention to angels, to expecting that God could speak to human beings. And the word call in this story shows up four times. The angel says it, the narrator says it, Isaiah says it in a quotation, call, call, call. Joseph is being called by God through the mouth of the angel, and then he is asked very specifically by God to call this baby that he hasn't met yet by a certain name. The first thing is don't be afraid. That's the first commandment. Don't be afraid. Take Mary into your house. That's the first part of the commandment. This is what you've got to do. The second thing is, you are going to be the one to name the child. All right, Joseph, you're going to take Mary into your house. When the baby's born, you're naming him. And here's what his name's going to be. And by, by you naming him, you're going to give him all the hereditary stuff. 
you're going to connect him to the line of David. And everything that you have is going to belong to him. And everybody's going to understand that this is the true Messiah. Joseph, son of David. And I mean, that's a tall order. That's two big things. Oh, and by the way, the, the child that you're going to name, this is the son of God. You know, and you got to imagine Joseph just being overwhelmed, but also relieved, I'm sure, as he wakes up from the dream. And so Joseph wakes up from the dream, and Matthew tells us he did exactly what he was commanded to do. Why did he do exactly what he's commanded to do? Joseph's character, his courage that had been cultivated, the disposition to turn towards God, to obey God. I mentioned that Joseph is the first person to obey God in Matthew's gospel. Do not fear. And so Joseph has the courage to answer God's call in the midst of unique family difficulties. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And Joseph called his name Jesus. A very simple story, but a very complex reality and a complex set of tools and character that it would require to do such a thing. And so I just hold Joseph up before us today and say, what courage is God growing in us? What character is God molding and shaping in us? And what callings? Have we received and what calling might we receive for this unique part of our life? What has been growing, welling up inside of us that God is seeking to employ that a light would shine in the darkness? That in the midst of all the complexities that artists have been singing about that bring tears to our eyes, where do we stand uniquely positioned to be like Joseph? To stand up and say, yeah, that's, that's going to be tough, but I'll do it. And I'll do it because God is calling. Why was it important for Christ to come? Why was it important for Christ to come in this way? In conclusion, it's a little disappointing, the key word here. Uh, not to save the people from political oppression or political chaos or 24-hour political whatever. They had it then. We have it now. But we're told very specifically, for this baby that's born, this Jesus in the line of David, he will save his people from their sins. Sin and destruction and all the brokenness and the ways that we hide from God in a way can be more harmful than Rome or Herod. Christ finds us at the center of our pain, in the middle of all those complexities that we sing about, and he waits upon the doorstep of our hearts. Here, the third verse of O Little Town of Bethlehem. It tells the story beautifully of how Christ comes and how he waits for us, what the criteria is, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. 
no ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.